Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be here today with Brenda McCabe. And Brenda is the CEO of Next Act Advisors. She is a very experienced board of directors professional who has helped a number of different companies. She's an advisor. She is also an investor. And I'm just really looking forward to having a conversation with Brenda and have her share her story and what she looks for in companies and how she can best help companies with her investing. So Brenda, it's a pleasure to have you today. And I'd like to start out just, you have kind of a fascinating background. You've done so many different things. Uh, you have lived different spots around the world. So share, share with the people that are watching this, the startups in particular, you know, what got you started? Uh, Talk, talk a little bit about your background and the journey that led you to the place now where you are actually investing in early stage startups. Thank you, Jerry. It's a great, uh, quite an opportunity to, to um, talk to potential companies that um, our fund will be investing in. Um, I am uh, based in Los Angeles, uh, originally from the Midwest, but I moved uh, at a very young age after college to Spain. Um, background, I'm bilingual in Spanish, um, and I have a background as an auditor in my early days, uh, which is very good when I help you with your financial statements. I then was a controller and worked as a consultant at McKinsey and a company where I did a lot of M&A in consumer packaged goods and retail. Um, after 16 years with McKinsey, did some private equity and participated in um, a couple companies that were uh, private equity owned, turned them around. And then I joined AstraZeneca as VP of strategy, where I um, brought in a lot of consumer goods and retail marketing practices to the pharma experience, uh, consumer oriented, patient oriented. And um, about that time, um, Jerry is when I um, got my first um, opportunity to serve on a corporate board. Um, I was on a public company pharmaceutical board in the Spanish um, capital markets. And really um, at an early age, started to understand the value that having good corporate governance enhances shareholders value. Independent board directors. So I've been an independent board director since 2012 on private and public companies um, allows you to represent the shareholders largely when you're independents, minority shareholders. So really getting a grip on what is good corporate governance as opposed to bad corporate governance is one of my lifetime professional skills that I bring to startups. Um, my um, journey as an investor also started, um, gosh, about same time, 2013, I wrote my first check. I was then, I left the pharma world and worked in clean tech. Um, Solar uh, ran the Mediterranean for a US technology company, raised about $175 million. So I started to understand what, um, it, it's cap very capital intensive, we had equipment, um, but what um, investors that write really big checks um, are looking at. I was an executive at that time. I had a side business working with software engineers, um, raising money. And I wrote uh, my first check to a founder um, that was looking at storage technology for so battery storage 
to pr provide um, um, solidness to the intermittency of solar um, electricity. And I continued to sit on corporate boards um, and came back to the United States, settled in the Los Angeles area um, where I set up NextAct Advisors. I continue to work and invest in three types of sectors. I call them deep tech. They're very large sectors that I feel very comfortable and I'm knowledgeable and my networks um, at McKinsey and Company and the University of Chicago Graduate School where I got my MBA 20 years ago um, is, is a, kind of my secret sauce. I bring a lot of knowledgeable people. The three sectors that I like to invest in, clean tech, um, digital health, and enterprise SaaS, so data, and actually selling into large corporates, enterprises. Um, because I've worked in large corporations, McKinsey and Company, AstraZeneca, I oftentimes was the buyer of these services. So I understand the decision-making um, that's made for oftentimes long lead times in your sales process. And um, I enjoy also uh, working with women-led companies and was very excited um, to recently um, be asked to join an initiative sponsored by the Thai um, SoCal chapter and Global, which is to um, promote women-led companies, a fund that's gonna be earmarked for, for the women-led companies, as well as have um, deal flow with other VCs and angel groups in the SoCal region, as well as a global competition uh, for women-led companies um, that's going to be kicking off soon. That yeah, and that we're excited to you know as far as Thai SoCal. I didn't put that into the introduction there, which I failed to do. But I'm glad you know we would have brought that up. But I know that we're excited to have you, Thai Cal, Thai SoCal, having you on board is helping co-chair our women the Thai Women Initiative, and a lot of exciting things that are going to be announced and moving forward with that. But. I know your passion of helping women founders fits in well with helping lead the, the women's fund that we're going to be launching. So that's exciting for the women founders who are going to be watching this interview as well. Uh, you know, you mentioned those three uh, verticals, sectors that you're interested in as far as your, your personal investing. Talk a little bit about what stage those companies would look like. Is there a sweet spot or a certain stage or place that those companies need to be for you to take a look and strongly consider them? Yeah, I've got those great questions. Again, these are very large markets, um, very regulated. Uh, so I do like to see kind of growth um, or at least uh, some traction in revenue. It might be grant-based, all right? In digital health and med tech, I always look that the founders have either received funds um, at the National Institutes of Health, so SBIR funding, it's non-dilutive. It also provides credence to the business proposition that you have been validated by an independent third party. So I would say growth stage, um, some, uh, some, some traction, either through non-dilutive funding and some sales. I want a minimum bioproduct. product. Um, again, big sectors, you're going to pivot. So the way you um, um, get to revenue and will um, evolve over time. So I look for also founders that um, have the ability to think big 
and differently. It might just not be a device, but it might be the device plus a service added on top, subscription service. Um, it might be a B2B play initially, selling it to physician offices or clean tech, you might be selling into a utility, um, but you can also have a B2C play, all right? So the, the possibilities of different revenue streams is another angle that I particularly um, look for in early stage companies. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, especially in, in speaking about the, the grants and the non-diluted funding. And as you know, I have a background in the nonprofit sector, but when the companies do receive those grants, another benefit is that they are beholden to show impact and outcome in regards to receiving that grant money, which lends a lot of credibility and, you know, know, so it shows that they have to be kind of beholden and responsible towards receiving that money as far as what what the government holds them to when they receive those grants. Yes, it is um, um, a criteria that um, I think more it's it's legitimizes that the MVP that they're working on has a clear consumer need. Maybe it's a patient need. Um, and there's an unmet need in the market that government funding will bring in to 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 cross the chasm, right? Sure, sure. And so what we've learned from you so far is that you you do your own individual investing into companies. You've shared a little bit about those those verticals that you're interested in. Uh, we know you're involved with Thai SoCal, and I believe that you are also invested in the Thai SoCal Angel Fund too which was just uh, which just is launched and right now I believe it's around 2.7 million dollars that we're going to be dispersing to uh, hopefully around 20 type of companies over the next year and uh, so you're you're involved with that fund as well so you have kind of a, a, a seat at the this, table yeah seat at the table as far as the companies that present themselves to Thai SoCal when you look at startups you talked about verticals you know, there's so many different things that we look at when we look at startups to invest in. What are what are some of the key components you look at, like when it comes down to the pitch? When when a company gives the pitch, they're going, you know, you're going through the deck. What are some of the most important factors that you look at? You talked about, you know, that traction uh, yeah. portion of it, but what are some of the other key components that you look at when you're when you're looking and considering a startup? Yeah. Um- you know, the, um, the the kind of the seat at the table that I've been playing in this second angel fund, I will tell you is I've been tasked to really have a point of view on um, enterprise SaaS and data companies, as well as digital health, biotech, um, where I do sit on a board in, in um, the vaccine space. So um, independent of those two verticals, uh, for a pitch session that lasts around 10 minutes, I look for size of the market, right? Um, because we're so pre-seed, you do want larger markets, right? So you're tan because you will pivot. So, and the, the, and the thought process by which the founder or the founding team has reached that, that TAM. The founding team is very important, skin in the game. 
have they worked together before and what type of um, environments um, and the go-to-market strategy. Those are the three critical things that provides, again, credence to a person that's going to be writing a check or from the fund on, you know, I'm going to bet on this horse, right? I'm not, I'm not betting on the horse. I'm betting on the jockey or the team that can take this minimal viable product into this very large market with different revenue paths. Super. And I, you mentioned SaaS, and I know you have a really strong background in dealing with SaaS. So I'm glad you brought that up and, you know, that's relevant to it. What, what specifically, you, you, you visited about the founders as far as, you know, have they worked together and that. What, what, when you consider the founders of a company, so many startups that we see, especially now, have such young founders where they don't have that experience behind them. What, what do you look for then when those startups may have that really incredible horse and they may be really sharp founders, but they don't necessarily have all of that experience yet. And this question is kind of coming from, I visited with a young founder at USC yesterday who mm -hmm. kind of posed that question to me. She says, you know, what do I do? Do I just blow off pursuing this great idea and startup until I get more experience working for somebody else? So I'm kind of curious, you know, because especially because she was a young woman founder, you know, what would be your position and take on that as far as a founder goes? Well, um, it's a great question, and um, it leads into a, a lot of the work I do at Next Active Advisors. But the fact that the founder it has awareness that they don't have the full um, toolkit, right? They have some blind spots. That's a very good sign that they're really they're coachable and they're willing to bring in. There's there's all types of advisory services or fractional positions, but more importantly, most founders don't think of this. Use your networks, your graduate school or your undergraduate school, um, people that you went to high school. Um, look at your LinkedIn, just really network and you with your personal relationships, um, talk about what you're doing and you will be always pleasantly surprised how people open up their Rolodexes and say, you know what, I know somebody that's doing this or Hey, I know that you might be looking for a co-founder and who, what better co-founder than someone that comes from your personal network. Um, so it, many people think I've got to be in some trade association or I have to, you know, follow the, the, the advisors that my investor group is providing. No, I mean, think about your own personal networks. They, myself, um, having worked so many years at McKinsey Company and the University of Chicago, I I, um, that's my go-to. Um, and you always one phone call or one email away from these, these people that know you well and would want to support you um, in your endeavors. And it, and it works on both sides, both the founder. And I'm smiling because kind of you, you said exactly what I kind of shared with her. It's that network, those connections and utilizing the people, you know, but uh it works both sides from the investor and the founder using the networks because, you know, as you know, I, I work doing business development for Vidosh, which is a small venture capital firm. And mm -hmm. I know that the managing partner of a with that 
Kellogg is his network that he works heavily with because he graduated from Kellogg. So he constantly reaches out to those connections from his uh, past schooling. So that, that I'm glad you touched upon that because that it's an important network to utilize, you know, throughout your business career. It just doesn't end when school ends. You utilize that moving forward for years to come. Uh, going back to your actual investment interest in your personal investing one thing i didn't ask and what are typically like what are, what range of size of checks do you end up writing for startups uh is there a certain range or that you look at investing in i'm a small investor so typically twenty five thousand. okay okay good to know it's good for the startups watching us to know that that's where you come on board and that's that's important so what do you is there a specific going back to the founder thing because I know team is so important for most investors uh, because they want to work with somebody who's easy to work with or pleasant to work with or who's coachable we hear a lot and I know there's founders who are coachable and there are founders who are not so coachable but what are some of the personality traits that you look for in a founder when you're assessing them Wow um... I love asking these kind of questions. <laughs> it's all subjective. Those that I've written text to, um, or <laughs> or those that I've I work with in my advisory services. Um, first of all, it's an honor to work with early stage founders. Um, actually, uh, across age is is is. Um, is no barrier. I, I work with founders that are, you know, like 45. Um, uh, others are, you know, 28. Uh, so age is, is, you know, I'm kind of um, age blind. And, and, and it's very interesting because I, I do consider it an honor. I learn a lot, um, particularly about the buying process, um, because a lot of these, these um, founders are millennials or Gen Xers. All right. So it's a totally different um, um, experience um for me um because i'm i'm a boomer all right <laughs> i'm as well i understand <laughs> uh so it's an honor to work with them now coachable um is an absolute um slam dunk for me um that that founder founding team um has to be willing to listen um and ask and, and, and listen but be able to answer questions. Um, one of my, I guess, core skills is I'm a very good um, questioner. Um, as you made in the comments in the introduction, I've worked in a lot of industries and, and um, large corporations, private equity. Um, I've, seen, uh, I've seen a lot of deals. Um, I've actually been a lot of M&A transactions. So I've been around the block. I'll ask a lot of questions. Um, also, I ask questions with respect to not only the product, but the market. Um, I like to see in founders their, I guess, intellectual curiosity and, and their in, in the willingness to explore, um, again, these revenue discovery paths um, to be open um, and not just in, enamored with their solution. Um, you have to be exploratory. And I guess the other element that is very unique in, in how I work um, or look or the, the attributes I look in a founding team 
is they have to believe in the business side, right? I work at deep tech. So it's, it's a lot of engineering, a lot of science, <clears throat> pardon me, physicians, um, PhDs, uh, they oftentimes don't know what they don't know. And the business side pretty early on is, is um, it's critical to have you know, basic NDAs and, and your IP strategy. Are you, you need to think about protecting those crown jewels. Investors look for that. Um, so I, again, I like to work with, I look for founders that have thought about the business side. They don't need to have the answers, but they need to think about they're creating an enterprise. It's not a lifestyle project. It's not a um, PhD program. It is an enterprise. It's going to have shareholders. Eventually it's going to be sold or you know, listed on a, a market. And the ultimate owners are the shareholders, right? So you're building this entity that needs to be um, responsible with the funds that are given to the company. So business um, sense is something that I look for in founders. Great. You know, I'm going to I'm going to throw a curveball at you here. Um, I'm going to ask a fun question, <laughs> and that question would be: Looking back on when you started investing in companies. Is there a company that you looked at and didn't invest in that you're, you kind of regret going, wow, I wish I would have invested in that company? That is a curveball. Um, I have to say, I, I'm choosy. So I don't, I have no regrets to date. But that's a good question to keep in the back of my mind. <laughs> As um, I, again, participating in Fund 2, we're seeing, we have a monthly screening call. So you, I'm seeing many more companies now. So, um, yeah. And, in the, and that brought up something too, because I, you know, between your personal investing and now being involved with the TISOCAL Fund, which is another decision-making process you have, but one thing that's important too for those startups watching, you know, you work with the fund, you're part of the team and have a seat at the table for the Thai SoCal fund, but also you have the option, even if the fund isn't interested in a company that you're able to even come in and do a sidecar or a, a you know, SPV deal with some of the other angel investors that may be interested in a particular company. So there's always those options as well. But I was, I was just curious in your own investing if there had been a company that maybe you passed up on that because I hear stories all the time from various investors going, yeah, there was that one company that I wish, you know, I would have invested in whether it be you know an uber or whatever I've, I've talked to investors it's just amazing some of the stories where people go yeah i kind of kicked myself on that one but always fun to see what opportunities people have had and and we always uh you know it's all subjective anyway as far as different investors have different things they look at and timing has a lot to do with it but i appreciate your I, i'm glad that you haven't had one yet that you've kind of go well shoot i wish i would have done that but I don't like to live with regrets myself. So it, right. it, I, I always look back and go, hey, it wasn't meant to be. If it didn't happen, that's okay. Well, I will say I had written a check. Um, this is back in, in Europe. and had an exclusive agreement um, based on a technology transfer. 
Um, and we had it in exclusivity. We'd actually set up um, an LLC to acquire the technology transfer, but it was based upon um, the legitimate right to own the IP. And come what may, one of the authors of the patent um, actually gave the patent to another university. So there was a patent dispute. Mm. So I'm thankful that I had this, legal document gave us exclusivity for one year but it was based on so it was like an option mm -hmm. and fortunately we did not buy that because it was based on that so again good corporate governance okay. having some you know some some guardrails around where your money is allocated um and you know now uh, i uh, continue to look at the space it was in in battery storage and um and uh, i'm back in to another company um so yeah. Super. Well, you know, I've uh, I've been in the as I've gotten to know you here over the last few months. You know, uh, it's impressive. Uh, you've got an in, incredible background and knowledge and insight into you know the areas, especially that you specialize in and that are an expert, as far as I'm concerned. In kind of kind of wrap it up by asking, you know, if the startup is watching this and they go we fit into, you know, the type of startup that you're looking for, what's the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? What's the best way for them to contact you? Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I have my LinkedIn profile on uh, B. McCabe. Um, and also my um, email is Brenda at Next Act Advisors. And um, you can reach me either through LinkedIn or a direct email. Okay, and we'll have that information that will you'll probably be seeing it on the bottom of the video when you're watching that. So that information will be available. So the last question is when those startups do reach out to you, what do you look for? What's their best way, quick way through a LinkedIn or an email to capture your attention? What is the best way? What's the best way that they, whether it's something that they write in that email What's something that really you look for that will set a startup apart when they first reach out to you? It's interesting you ask that because if you look at my website, uh, Next Act Advisors, I have an intake form. Um, it's not mandatory, but I, if you want me to take a look at your um, business, I ask three questions. What was the business or CEO that inspired you to create your business? The second question is um, how you spend your time. And the third is, would you be willing to allow me to see an email or a letter that you sent to somebody giving them thanks for the role they've had in your life, either professionally or personally. With that, that is my litmus test of people I like to work with. That is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't actually... Um, set you up to ask that question but it is my you did. <laughs> that's a question i like to ask at the end you know at the end of our conversation so because something needs to set that startup founder apart from i mean i'm sure you get inundated with pitch decks and emails and communicate and, and that so that that's just that's i love that that's just a great way uh to set apart the startup founders as your first initially being introduced to them. So I, I really like that. That's that more investors should have something like that when they're uh, getting that information to come up with really 
questions like that that are going to help you see in depth a little bit more about that founder. So, uh, Brenda, thank you for your time. I know you're extremely busy, so I do appreciate the time you, you've taken. I often say that time is one of the most underappreciated and undervalued gifts that we can give someone. And so, you know, thank you for taking the time and sharing your story and your interest in helping these startup founders. So look forward to further conversations with you and uh, best wishes to your investing and look forward to working with you in regards to the Thai SoCal Fund, the Thai Women's Initiative. And thank you again for your time.